Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now in fast, Tesla shares dropping. The EV maker posting better than expected revenues, but margins coming in well below what the street was looking for. The instant analysis on Tesla's quarter straight ahead. Plus, snapping into AI, the social network is saying it is its artificial intelligence chatbot is attracting millions of users, and it now plans to expand the offerings from its My AI. So will this be a sticky revenue driver or just another flash in the pan for Snap? And later, what's behind the headache in healthcare stocks, the options action in the not-so-volatile volatility trade, and the profit warning rippling through the computer hardware sector. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Bonowin Eisen. Welcome back, Bonowin. Thank you. And we begin with an earnings alert on Tesla. The stock dropping after hours. EPS in line. Revenue beat estimates. But after cutting prices six times already this year, margins for the EV maker coming in well below expectations. CNBC's Phil LeBeau is here to take us inside the numbers. Phil. And Melissa, remember, the latest round of price cuts initiated just this week. So what we're looking at are Q1 results here. So this is just the impact of the price cuts that we're seeing in the first quarter. As you mentioned, EPS coming in line with expectations, a profit of 85 cents a share, revenue slightly better than expected at $23.33 billion. But the story is all about the margins. We said that going into today, the street was looking for margins basically 20% or above. This is the margin pressure they're feeling because of these price cuts. Compare year over year, that's a 900 point basis point drop in total gross margins a little bit better, but still a rough drop for the adjusted EBITDA margins down to 18.3%. And here's the reason why. Look at the change in pricing. And this is just from the beginning of the year for the Model 3 and the Model Y. Look at that. You've got the Model 3 now down to under $40,000. That's the base model price. And you've got the Model Y, which was at $65,000 for the, the entry-level model back in January, now down to $46,990. As a result, when you take a look at these results, at these results from Tesla, the big question for investors is going to be, where do the margins settle out? Are they going to settle out at 18%, 19%? Do they have any kind of idea when we uh, listen to the conference call in terms of what they're expecting from uh, the next quarter or two when it comes to pricing pressure? Remember, they are expecting to deliver, Melissa, 1.8 million vehicles. That's their guidance. They said during this uh, report, and we'll get more on the conference call, they expect to hit their estimate of delivering 1.8 million vehicles. So that's not changing, but the pricing pressure and the margins, that's the story right now. I guess, Phil, the question here is, is the pain worth it in order to gain the market share? You know, in an environment where the others are feeling pain as well, why not just put the screws on their competitors? Well, and, and I think that's what they're doing. Look, they're much, yeah. it's much easier for them to put the screws on their competitors here in North America where they don't have as much competition, especially at the lower end, than in China. China is much different story. It's much more aggressive in terms of pricing on the lower end. And remember, that's the part of the EV market that's going to be growing over the next decade. It's not above $50,000. It's the lower end of the market. That's really where you're going to see the competition. 
Yeah, especially when you have BYD announcing an $11,000 electric vehicle. <laughs> That's not easy. Yep. Uh, Phil, thank you. Keep us posted. Phil LeBeau with Tesla here, down about 3.6% on the back of earnings. Tim, what do you make of this news? Well, I'm never going to be the guy that dies on the, the, the Tesla defense hill. But I have to point out that, that no one should be surprised that the margins are going down. And no one should be surprised that this is their strategy. They believe that they're still, when it's all said and done, going to have the best operating margins in the industry. Uh, a couple different brokers. I looked at, a, a, again, I echo Piper Jaffrey has a report out there where they say every time wait times in, in Tesla cars go go down to four to six weeks, they cut prices. And they cut prices because they know they can and because they, they think they can outlast everybody else. This is offsetting uh, EV credits that are going to lose ground, too. So, uh, again, I hate the, the, the multiple. I don't need to chase this stock here. Um, it's of all the mega cap tech stocks, it's the one that is still in its downtrend from November of 21. It has not broken back above it. And I don't see that it will. But but today's, you know, the, the margin number today, no one should be surprised by that. And Tesla should be arguing this is exactly what we want to happen. Yeah. Karen? So I think, I mean, the stock acts pretty well given, yes. actually. Uh, I'm sort of surprised that it's not down more. So like Tim, I'm not going to die on the Tesla Hill. I wonder, though, about this continually cutting prices. At some point, do you train the customer to wait? Right. If you're a customer who bought a Y not that long ago, right. you're not going to be happy like with five this. cuts ago, five cuts ago. Exactly. <laughs> you're not going to be happy about this. And I don't know, might they wait? I'm sure a lot of thought goes into the price cuts, no doubt. But um, it's it's a kind of a, it should be a worrying trend as we see margins go down, obviously. Yeah, I would argue, you know, along with Tim, that you shouldn't be surprised that you're seeing margins thinner and you're seeing some margin compression. But there was debate about whether or not they were going to be able to maintain around that 19 and a half, 20 percent margin level. And we're, they're coming in below that, keeping in mind that these peaked out around 29 percent last year. Right. So like year over year, that's a almost a 10 percent decline in terms of margin. And then when you couple in the CapEx spin that they're ramping up. Right. The, the further and further that you push this off and, and it becomes more of a, a volume story than a profitability story, the creativeness of that CapEx spin gets pushed out. And that, to me, is why you're starting to see downward pressure on the stock immediately when a lot of retail investors have a tendency to buy on any type of weakness. Then just one thing to add, though, all of this to get synthesize it. What's the right multiple? Is it in the mid 40s for an auto company? I mean, that seems really high to me. For an auto company in the in the next technology of automobiles, right? Right. The technology that the others are trying to catch up on. True. It's got mm-hmm. the pole position right now. It's got the edge in terms. And I'm just playing devil's yes. advocate. No, no, you nobody's dying yes, on the Tesla should. Hill here. Certainly mm-hmm. not Dan. <laughs> let, let me give you one with the, one before with the Dan jumps in because I know he's got a lot. One with the edge of the battery technology. Yeah. I mean, maybe for these reasons, it deserves that multiple because catching up on that technology aspect is going to be so difficult for the legacy automakers. Well, one other thing that, again, I'm not dying on this hill, but, mm-hmm. but you know, they're talking about you know, growing you know, 50% Kager in terms of deliveries. Um, the more they grow, and they said this, they said Q1 profitability was positively impacted by growth in vehicle deliveries despite margin headwind. They're going to argue economies of scale, economies of scale, and we're going to crush people. And, and again, I, you know, are they doing it? So far, they're kind of doing it. Um, it's, it's, that's the argument against it, economies of scale. All right, Dan. All right, Dan. <laughs> Get what in there. What do you think? If this was anything other than a cult, this stock would be down 20% on this quarter right here. I'm just going to tell you that right now. This is an investing cult. And, and, and so when you look at the – you guys are saying that people were not surprised by the margin degradation. Why was the street consensus at 21% or something like that? Why is it – I mean, like, seriously. Well, they cut this week. They, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I think Tim, a lot of the street – expected this. In any other consumer product where it's been an earning story, a margin story, a free cash flow story, if you had an estimate of 3.2 
billion dollars in free cash flow and you printed 441 and you had 500 million dollars in regulatory credits in a quarter. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, this is a joke. I mean, so in any other growth story, when you have this sort of like just turnaround in the fundamentals of the company and you can argue away whatever you want, they've cut their price. How many times in the last 10 years have you guys seen a company cut their prices in a market leading product six times in 10 years, let alone six months? Okay, so listen. Have at it, people. Go buy it. I'm sure it'll be up on the opening tomorrow. This stock is very likely to go back and retest those lows where but it was. They, but they are growing. I mean, and, and again, I, I, it feels so awful to be going on the opposite, but this is what we do on this show. So uh, here I am saying they are growing. I mean, they, they're growing dramatically. I mean, they're growing in terms of their, uh, of their profitability. They're growing in terms of their deliveries. So um, if you think it's a growth story, if they're going to grow at 50% a year for the foreseeable, and they've kind of been but very vague about this. You should buy right here. I, you know not, I'm not saying that, though. I mean, come on. I'm not, yeah. not, not going to go buy the stock. He can see I, why I'm, people I'm, might. Yeah. 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 He can see why people might. Well, they will. And you, you can't see why people might. Or well, I don't know why this is such a it. special story. I, I think that article in the Wall Street Journal the other day talking about this, this Shanghai auto event where, you know, there's literally dozens of local manufacturers of EVs there. And you just mentioned the Boyd at 11,000 or something like that. I mean, they didn't show up because they got nothing new to show, okay? Like, and they have tons of competition. So I think China is really, and we've been saying that on this desk, I mean, China's a real problem for them. I mean, it's a huge problem because so much of their growth is expected to come from there at a time where we've been talking about competition in Detroit. That's not even the story. The Germans, that's not even the story. It really is about China and future growth. And so, you know, I do think it's interesting last week before they decided not to go to this event. I don't know when they decided not to go to this event, but they, they announced another game factory in Shanghai, but they're also going to start paying much higher taxes and they're going to have much less favorable treatment in China than they have over the last few years in the next few. So, I mean, listen, if your antennas are not up about this story right now from a fundamental basis, then I think you're doing this wrong. I, I think the chart is also really important. Again, we, we've seen this inflection where at least somewhere in March, really before we started to see triple Qs, we saw the biggest names in the mega cap tech world outperform the S&P and actually break out of a downtrend that was very defined either from November of 21 or January of 22. Tesla has not done that. It's had a few moments where it's gotten, but again, it got smacked down at 200. It got smacked down at 260. Um, and you look at this chart all the way back, it tells me it's going to continue to get smacked down. So no, I don't want to chase it. Um, but I, and, and I, it's just interesting to me for a company that nobody cared about fundamentals for a long time. And, and, and I, I argued that side of it too. I mean, I found the company to be, and I don't trust anything they say. Like, I, I think the corporate governance dynamics here are things that, that really make it frustrating to follow this stock because they've, they've sent a lot of misinformation. Just to be clear, no one cared about valuation. They cared about the fundamentals, and they were right. And you were talking about this, this free cash flow story and their ability to kind of work on that balance sheet. Okay, let, let's be fair. Okay, they are not in a situation where many of their competitors are, where they're burning billions and but billions they've, they've of dollars But they've got $22 billion of cash and cash equivalents, as they just said, on their balance sheet right now. So they're, they're Totally. So, but, but my point is, it's like all of this happening without a recession. Okay, like so think about what happens to this company that has a very high price point. They've told you, we know they have a high price point. They keep cutting prices on their cars to be more competitive with some of these other providers. The last point I'll make is the conference call is going to start at 530, and you just said it. Um, you don't trust anything that they say. They are going to be overly optimistic about their ability to then have some pricing power once they recapture share, once they get some of these factories going. That, like, that's going to be the story, and that's probably why you'll see in 40 minutes we're going to be talking about how the stock is We'll we'll mention new products. They'll have a couple dangle, a couple yeah. sweeteners. Yeah, Sorry, we're we're just in a new environment. We're, we're talking about the past and, and 
you talked about Tesla coming down from whatever, whatever it was, 400 to 300 to 260. We're in an environment where it was growth, and it was growth at any cost. And we have drastically shifted. And I think to, to Dan's points and both of your points that you've made there, I think now, like you said, it is all about scale. They're, they are admitting that we can no longer continue this narrative of growth at any cost and expect to protect, protect margin or to protect valuation. So they are going all in on, a cap, on CapEx spin. They are going all in on being able to scale. And to me, that really is the transition story now. Um, I, I don't know what else you would expect them to do when we're seeing margin compression across the board. They have no uh, alternative but to go and compete at the lower end of the market and try to blow competitors out of the water because that, that really is the only story that leads to continued growth that investors are going to be willing to pay for. By the way, Ford was down 4% today. I mean, it's not like the auto sector is on fire. Yeah. Uh, and if we call this a car company, I'd call it a car company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not been a great time for Ford or GM or, or right. you know, look across the, the pond. Yeah. For more on Tesla, mm-hmm. let's bring in our uh, Fast Money friend, Gene Munster, managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. We've been having a robust debate here on the desk about Tesla. Where do you think we are in the Tesla story right here, right now? So right here, right now, we are challenged. The company's margins are going down a little bit more than what investors had hoped. That critical metric was EV uh, gross margins, ex-EV tax credits. That came in at 19%. There, it could have been 20% based on some accounting of some advanced uh, credits for manufacturing. We'll have to wait for the call. But uh, that's an important distinction how people are going to view this this quarter. If uh, it could be a 20% number, investors will feel good. If it's 19, they don't feel good. So to answer your question, near term, they are, are feeling the pressure here, and it is impacting their business. And I, I want to jump back to an important point that Dan made about the cult piece of this story. And I think that is uh, the reason why cult followings happen on, on, on growth companies is because a group of investors believe in where a company is going. So it's beyond the current quarter, to your point, Melissa. And I think that's uh, really the hinge factor and going to be the X factor here in terms of how this plays out. If, in fact, they can uh, proceed on their growth, we can talk about what that growth strategy is. I think that the stock uh, moves higher. And I think that's ultimately, it's going to drive, uh, I think, some of the Tesla bears mad here over the next uh, couple of years because there will always be this carrot out here because they're getting into some massive markets. Always this carrot out there that Tesla is going to be able to turn the corner and really hit some new growth vectors. So, so Gene, uh, you know, again, a $570 billion market cap company that's down from $1.2 trillion at the end of 2021 here. And, and again, you know, you just heard us kind of talking about this. I mean, there is clearly a change in the fundamentals in what's going on with the company. You know, even when Absolutely. the stock was careening lower in 2022, they weren't cutting prices there. And they sounded pretty confident about their ability to manage supply chains coming out of this uncertain period. They're still calling it an uncertain period. And we haven't even had the, um, you know, the recession that we're all expecting. So I guess my question to you is you've covered high growth, high valuation, you know, tech companies in the past here. What's different about this one? Because as long as I've been in the business, every single time there's been a special story like this with a special guy like Elon, it's always come undone. And I'm just not certain down 55 percent really means that that's it, that it's come undone. And that's it. And we can get back to, you know, just like not caring about valuation and let it start working again. Well, I'm not certain how this ultimately plays out, but one of the reasons why uh, I think what's most important here is just the trajectory of margins and growth. And you're absolutely right, is the fundamentals have not looked good. This has been a downward trajectory, especially on margins. 
But to answer your question, what could uh, reverse this ultimately is that I, I still believe, and this is going to be one point that's going to be hard to probably shake me from. I want to be uh, a level-headed in all this, but I still think traditional auto is in a tough spot. Ford's uh, their E divisions losing $35,000 on a car. They're just ramping up on there. Tesla's making $10,000 per vehicle. So to answer your question is, if they can uh, continue to do what they're doing, being profitable at going after what I see as some large addressable markets around energy and transportation, storage, I think that the story can turn around. And so the Elon factor, uh, agree. Uh, he's a wild card. But I think uh, the markets that they're going after are so big that this company can continue to move higher. But Gene, going back to something that you said earlier, basically in the next hour or so when we get clarity on this margin, if that margin moves to 20% because of advanced credits, then then we can say that it actually met expectations. It could be a completely yeah, I mean, different story the, for the stock. It, yeah, it's. I mean, we are splitting hairs around that. Another factor on the call here is related to Elon's comments about their growth. If Elon's even on the call, but uh, last quarter, of course, Elon did a very Elon-like thing. Uh, their guidance was 1.8 million vehicles. And then on the quarter, he said, I think it's going to be closer to 2 million. They reiterated their 1.8 on the just reported numbers. Is he going to reiterate his 2 million uh, number for the full deliveries for 2023? That, along with the margin, that margin detail about advanced credits, that's going to probably make or break the stock tomorrow. But longer term, it's can they successfully scale into what I see as large markets? All right. Thanks, Gene. Keep us posted on any developments. Gene Munster, Deepwater. Um, Dan mentioned cult stocks that always come undone. Do they always? Yeah. Just How about Apple? Listen, Mel. Was an Apple 20 cult years stock? ago? Every I, remember Nasdaq- getting hate. I remember getting hate mail constantly whenever you said anything bad about Apple. Yeah. And it's gone. It's gotten cut in half numerous times over the last 10 years, you know, but it's it's kind of a different business. Here's a company that's been able to maintain 40 percent gross margins for that entire time. OK. And they have 90 percent of the gross margin in the smartphone. But business. they were doing that a production of like no vehicles. Right. I mean, they, they were uh, you know, that's that's the argument. I also think that the the. Getting credit for being a more efficient, higher production producer is is part of what goes on at any company. But, uh, you know, look, Netflix was a cult stock that, that got knocked off its pedestal. I think Amazon's a cult stock that got knocked off its pedestal. Some of this is and just economies of scale. Obviously. And then recovered. But but I mean, the I'll buy the stock at any multiple um, no longer works on Amazon it, it, and it right. doesn't work on on Netflix. So, I mean, at some point, valuation does matter. And what I find interesting is that even the biggest, most ardent bulls uh, are now referring to this as an auto company. It's not, you know, it's not about batteries. It's not about storage. It's not about data. It's an auto company. And and I think it's too expensive. Listen, it took 14 years for the NASDAQ to get back to its uh, to its bubble high. It took look at a Microsoft chart for the entire 2000s. It went sideways in the tightest range uh, imaginable. Okay, so all of these things, if you go look at Google, there were times, you know, this stock went sideways, you know, down considerably from their all time high. So to me, just because this thing shot up 10,000 percent and then lost 75 percent and now it's up, you know, 70 percent or something like that, it's still down 55 percent from its highs. And the fundamentals are about as bad as they've been in the last, I, I want to say easily in the last five years, other than the period of the pandemic where every company had very little visibility and their business models were you know, up in the air. So, After the break, we've got more After Hours action coming your way. Shares of IBM Las Vegas Sands both jumping after releasing results. The details from the quarters next and a major snap score. The company pulling in millions of users for its new AI subscription service. What it could mean for the stock and details from its developers conference when Fast Money returns. You seek the key. 
But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Las Vegas Sands jumping after hours on earnings and revenue beat. The company citing a robust recovery in its Macau and Singapore markets. Let's get to CNBC's Contessa Brewer's got all the details. Contessa. Melissa, the call just wrapped up while we were in commercial break. CEO Rob Goldstein must get so much joy out of saying this out loud on the call. A powerful recovery underway in Macau. Business is back. His quote, Macau is in its infancy, he says, as far as the return to a more normal operating environment. So, you know, early days. Goldstein says if this is golf, this is actually the driving range and you haven't even gotten to the tee yet. For one thing, labor has been a real problem. Hotels have not been open, able to open to capacity down by more than 30 percent. But by summer, LVS says the labor challenges will smooth out. It likely won't be a challenge, they predict, for anyone in the market. And Goldstein says he was pleasantly surprised by the amount of business Macau is already getting from international Asian high-end customers without taking away from what Singapore is doing and to Singapore, which has had a year's head start on reopening. Adjusted property EBITDA, that's the key gaming metric for earnings, at 93% over the same period of 2019. It set property records in some categories for gaming and profit margins here of 47 percent. They seem very optimistic that there's a lot of room to run here, Melissa. Wow. Contessa, thanks. Mm -hmm. Contessa Brewer. Tim, LBS. So Karen and I were talking just for the show because we're geeks like this. What, how much of their revenue is coming from Macau? It's 91 percent. And, wow. and if you think about where we were, where we've come from, and, and also, as I said last night, the, the, the renewals of the licenses has been such a big driver on top of what's been going on. Why you, you don't expect eventually Macau to open up? I realize China's reopening from COVID was the most clumsy, uh, bizarre uh, event that played out you know, multiple different times. But this is a, a, a story that also, if you look at the chart on this, where it was running up against $60, I think this is your breakout. And, and again, the valuation is not crazy cheap anymore. Um, at its low, it had lost two-thirds of essentially the EBITDA multiple. Um, but you've, and you've taken a lot of that back. But um, to me, technically, this is a really important time. And China GDP the other night, better than expected what we're seeing. And if you read a number of different brokers talking about where uh, Macau GGR will now be at the end of 24, where it was pre-revenue, uh, pre-pandemic, 
you stay in the stock. GGR meaning gross gaming, gross gaming revenue. Revenue. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Another earnings alert here on IBM shares. Also higher after posting an earnings beat. Revenues, however, did come in below expectations. Our own Frank Holland is listening in on the call. Frank. Less artificial intelligence and IBM's experience using it in enterprises and business. That was really the focus of CEO Arvind Krishna's remarks. He just wrapped up a short time ago, and he wasn't shy about dropping the name of some headline customers like the Boston Red Sox and the Cleveland Clinic. So the software business and Red Hat, where IBM offers AI and hybrid cloud, that was really the story of this quarter. Consulting was in line, and I'm expecting some commentary later on in the call about the global demand for consulting, this after uh, some layoffs at Ernst & Young. So during this so-called year of efficiency in tech, IBM was able to beat margin estimates. The company also raised free cash keep free cash flow guidance. That's a sign of real confidence, especially with the $300 million charge they took for job cuts that were announced last quarter. So the guidance is three to 5% growth for the full year constant currency. That is not comparable to Refinitiv estimates, so we're not comparing it, but you can see what Refinitiv is expecting, that 3.6% growth for the full year. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Frank, thanks. Frank Holland. Bonwin, what do you think of IBM? Yes, revenue light margins were better than expected, but I will add that margins in the first quarter are seasonally low vis-a-vis other quarters. So for me, it's a relatively low bar here. And if you just look at the performance of the stock over the, like, the last five years or so, it's been relatively dead money. It's been a great range trade. You buy it at 100, you sell it at 150, and then you go home. And I'm likely inclined to do something similar here. Uh, the last thing that I'll say is in terms of revenue growth and free cash flow growth over that same time period, it's just really been a struggle. So while I can see the, the argument for parking cash and a low beta, relatively safe type of name. Uh, it's hard for me to get excited here. I just don't see the growth necessary for me to deploy capital in the name. Dividend yield is five and a quarter percent. Pardon? So the dividend yield is five and a quarter percent. Yep. So it's and they will like have ten and a half billion in free cash flow this year. And and but but if this is a tech company, I'm just looking at some of their comments. They're saying we're we're going to be enhancing shareholder value by increasing dividends. I mean, is that is that? You're absolutely right. I mean, that's been a reason to own this stock. Um, Is that the reason to own the stock? It's a tech company. I don't know. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Snap to it. Millions of users flocking to the app's new AI-powered service. And this one comes with a price tag. What it says about the future of artificial intelligence. Next. Plus, front and center in this latest round of bank earnings. What the CEOs are saying about the strength of the consumer. Just how strong do they see spending? We'll get some answers. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Snap announcing it's brought in more than 3 million users to its Snapchat Plus subscription service. The offering, which costs nearly 4 bucks a month, provides early access to certain features like the My AI chatbot, which de- debuted in February. Snap announcing at its partner summit today that My AI will soon be rolled out to all users at no cost. Snap shares were down slightly today, but up more than 20% this year. Um, earlier in the day, it was actually higher on this news, but this is 399 per month that's coming in 
for free. Basically. But listen, on a relative <laughs> basis, if you think about this, what they're expected to do, the uh, $4.7 billion in sales this year. We know how much Twitter sales have been down. We, we saw the numbers, maybe it was down four, uh, 40% in December alone. And I think the last um, numbers that we saw, I think there were some internal documents leaked or numbers leaked about Twitter Blue that they had maybe 180,000 uh, up to maybe 290,000 people paying. So the fact that Snap and the demographic that they serve already have 3 million paying subscribers for this, that's nothing to shake a stick about. And, and I think that if you're talking about advertisers, I think they feel a lot more comfortable right now. And this is just not my opinion. This is just, you know, um, what is very prevalent in the ad press right now, that people are not comfortable, advertisers are not comfortable with Twitter. So on a relative basis, it looks pretty good. You would think, like, why why make it free if you're, you've got so many people willing to pay $3.99 a month? I don't know. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. I guess if everybody else is going to have something similar soon, right? right? We've got It's all going to be free, yeah. right? But it, 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 that's good. I mean, sentiment, I think, has changed a lot, as Dan's saying, about this space. We'll see, I guess, next week we'll start to hear from Meta and Facebook. Or, uh, and Google. They, sorry. No. Yeah, they were very bullish on their investor day, which was, what, about a month Ago, two months ago, on um, a- AR and also what they're doing and seeing in terms of the engagement, which Dan's talking about. The the ad revenue headwinds, though, from macro are, are not really abating, and the competitive landscape getting worse. So that, that's that's the crux here. I, I think there are places where they can be uh, picking up against Twitter and other folks. And I, I'm actually long the stock, so I've been long for I don't know three or four months. You think um, ads not getting better? That's what I'm what I'm reading. I mean, that the the ad the ad revenue macro um, is, is at least for them. And again, they're slightly different in terms of where they sit on on the uh, on the funnel than mm-hmm. than than Facebook and, and other people. So um, I look, I have said, I think the media companies were the first to be sold off with a recessionary whiff. And that's why some of them are trading a lot better here. Um, I hope the same is for Snap. But yeah, we were talking about range bound stocks and I kind of see a similar situation here with Snap. Um, I will also add, we just finished slamming a few stocks in the tech space for being for trading at 45, 50 Ford uh, price to earnings multiples. And I think this fits squarely right in there. So for me, I don't really see the catalyst that's going to break this to the upside. Uh, You have everyone uh, from Google to Meta, Snap offering some type of AI chat bot, chat GPT type of service. I don't understand what really the differentiating factor is here. All right. Coming up, bank earnings keep rolling in, and we're getting a look at how the consumer is faring as rates rise. RBC's Gerard Cassidy will join us next to break down the impact on spending and what the financials are telling us. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money, a check on how markets ended the day. The Dow recovering some late-day losses to close about 80 points lower. The S&P virtually unchanged. The Nasdaq eking out a very small gain. Shares of enterprise tech company CDW dropping more than 13% after it warned that IT spending is falling sharply in the U.S. The news also pressuring Cisco. Shares of that stock dropping nearly 5%. Meanwhile, in the after hours, a couple of other earnings movers to keep an eye on. Office read SL Green getting a nice boost, while shares of Discover Financial, Alcoa, and Zions Bancorp were all down. And uh, the Tesla conference call just kicking off. And guess what? Elon Musk is, in fact, on the call. We'll bring back Gene Munster with any headlines as they come. So far, we know that he said that the current macro environment remains uncertain. More to come. Meantime, the KRE Regional Bank ETF ripping higher today, but it's only at its highest close since the end of last month. Western Alliance rallying more than 20 percent after the regional bank said deposits are rebounding in April. First Republic, Comerica, Regions Financial also getting a boost. For more on these moves, let's bring in 
in RBC Capital Markets, Gerard Cassidy. Gerard, great to have you with, with us. Thank you, Melissa. Hasn't been so bad, Gerard. Can we can we no, say that we're we're all clear? It's we're in the clear now. No, you're, Melissa, you're absolutely right. The numbers coming in from the first quarter have actually been pretty good, better than expectations in some cases. But more importantly, and you said it about the deposits, we saw that last week with the H8 data, that the deposit inflows to the small banks have started. And I think that's the real all clear is the worst is behind us on the deposit flight. Unless, unless the banks have to raise capital. And there was an analyst that we had on CNBC earlier today who said in the next six months, a lot of banks should raise capital, even if they don't need to have the capital, to prove that they can. Do you fall in that camp, too? Is there something to that? Because if that is the case, then there could be some dilution to shareholders. You're right. There would be some dilution to shareholders, but I'm not in that camp. The banking industry is overcapitalized. We have capital levels that are well above the regulatory requirements, and there's no need to raise capital. Now, some people are assuming that they're going to take the hell to maturity, unrealized securities losses through capital, which may prompt people to say they should raise capital. We're not in that camp, and we don't expect any banks to have to be forced to raise capital, not, not amongst the big banks, let's put it that way. Gerard, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Um, Trevor, we have one big question mark left, maybe a lot more than one, but first for public. So we'll find out Monday. What do you expect to happen there? Are they the most likely for a big capital raise? Karen, they are the troubled child in the banking space right now. We all know that. They've been very clear with the announcements that they've had, that they've really felt this deposit flight. And so their numbers are going to be very important for all of us to look at. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what they put up. I, I don't think that they're an immediate need for capital because they currently obviously are very profitable. Generally, people run into capital problems when there's credit problems, and that's not the case here. And, and the real question is, are they forced to sell securities portfolios that are underwater? We don't think so. But their high cost of funding is going to be a real challenge for them. That's what everybody's going to focus on when those numbers are released. Gerard, thanks again for being on with us. This is Bonawin. Uh, would you mind speaking to like credit quality that you're seeing at the regional banks versus the larger money center banks? Do you, do you think that will continue to hold up or are they starting to see kind of chinks in the armor, so to speak? Yeah, Bowen, you, you really asked the, the big question for the rest of the year, which is all about credit. And right now, it's so interesting that credit is really strong for the banks. Now, you might remember they have a new accounting rule called CECL current expected credit losses. They have to build up reserves in anticipation of losses down the road, and banks are doing that. But there's, real no, there's really no evidence of credit deterioration. Now, there is some in the subprime lending areas, credit starting to deteriorate, but we still have, even as Jamie Diamond pointed out, in his credit card portfolio, the losses are still well below normal and will eventually normalize, but we don't see it happening over the next 30 or the next quarter or two. Gerard, great to speak with you. Thank you for your time. You're welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Gerard Cassidy. What did you make of Bank of America, Karen? Well, I thought it was it was good, and it was good on the heels of already expectations being up a little post uh, J.P. Morgan and some others. I thought what I thought their holds maturity would be worse than it was, um, but I also thought 
Moynihan sounded to me pretty confident about the consumer, although he said, you know, our belief is mild recession. But he said consumers, I believe that consumers checking accounts have more money now than going into the pandemic. Now, you and I were talking a little before this about is that is that a is that indicative of the consumers in great shape or the consumers scared right. and doesn't want to spend? And what does that mean for discretionary stocks? That I don't know. But I, I thought I thought it was good. I'm surprised, actually, that the stock wasn't up more. It was up that day with J.P. Morgan, but I think it should have been up more and more. Yeah. So to the stocks, if you look at the KRE, you know, without the performance of New York Community Bank Corp, which which obviously got that big boost, you're actually down. So it's about four. It's the largest position in the KRE, uh, up 50 percent from that point. You can kind of do the math on that at four percent. So that that's meant you know a two percent move or so just out by itself. And, and but whereas the money center banks versus the regionals look kind of interesting here. And we've had supportive uh, and, and peripheral when you're getting some better numbers out of travelers and some of, the, some of the insurance companies. This is part of the whole segment that got thrown out the window. I'm not saying, and they're, they're very different businesses, and I'm not saying there aren't credit issues for money center banks coming down there. Uh, I'm just saying, I look at J.P. Morgan pushing up around that 140, 141, you know, kind of if you look at uh, the most recent peak of, of this cycle range, you know, around 145, you get there, and then I think you have a chance to actually take it higher. Uh, I don't think these things get away from you but I think some of the money centers still look good. As we mentioned before, Elon Musk is on the Tesla call. He's making comments right now. He said that Tesla's taken a view that pushing for higher volumes in a larger fleet is the right choice here versus a lower volume in a higher margin. So he's speaking to the strategy of the price cuts, which number six uh, so far this year. They're also saying that they expect to have a Cybertruck delivery event sometime in the third quarter. All right, coming up, a look into volatility. The VIX at its lowest level since 2021. Our traders are fired up about the move, how the options pits are playing that move straight ahead. Plus, as we mentioned, Tesla's conference call underway will bring you more headlines as we have them. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Monday. The CBOE volatility index dropping to its lowest level since November 2021. But is that really a sign that the market is stabilizing? One options trader is making a monster bet that not everything is calm under the surface. Amber's Group co-CIO Chris Sidiel joins us now with a closer look at what VIX options are saying about the market. Chris, what's your take on what's going on? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, it's funny. The last time I was on here, it was right before VIX spiked to 30. And you had this pretty big uh, VIX call buyer. You guys seem to be uh, good luck for the VIX buyers, you know. <laughs> no, but what we saw was uh, we saw a really big buyer of the June 26 calls. This person came out and paid about $1.71 on about 100,000 contracts, right? So that's about $17 million in premium that this person laid out. And kind of what we saw was this, this more so outright position. This didn't seem to be the buyer from the last few months ago, uh, but the way they executed the trade, it made it seem like there was a new buyer that kind of stepped in. So pretty, uh, pretty interesting that people are, are looking to pile into this one. So what exactly is that? That bet is effectively that volatility will spike higher in June and, and the markets will probably decline. Right, right, yeah. correct. Right. So when you think about the VIX, it's important for viewers to understand that you cannot buy the VIX, right? You can't physically settle the VIX. You can buy the futures, you can buy the options, contracts, right? So for one option, uh, call option that you would purchase, for every one point move, it would be about $100, right? So let's say now VIX spiked to $35 this person would make about $70 million on the bet, right? Because what would end up happening is you have the strike price at 26 and it settles at 35. 
minus the premium paid, about $70 million, which is a pretty big bet in the VIX complex. Yeah, so, so Chris, you know, one of the things that's really kind of weird is that there's this asymmetric relationship in the VIX, right? It can go to infinity, but it can only go to zero, and it's not spent too much time in the low teens in, in my lifetime, right, if you think about that. So, you know, here's a trade. I want to get your, like, grade my trade. You remember Max used to have all these things <laughs> on the OA back in the day here? So today, before I even knew you were coming on, I bought the May expiration, 2030 call spread paying about a dollar for that. So think about that. And you think about if we could buy, put a VIX um, chart up here over the last year, year and a half, we've had probably five or six moves. When it gets above 20, it often goes to 30 in a straight line and usually for reasons that we can't foresee. So I'm just curious, how do you think about trading like call spreads um, for people who, you know, you can't buy the VIX, but you can buy options on the VIX and defining a risk is a, is a pretty decent way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. The important thing to realize too is that the VIX is variance, right? So it's going to move when, when volatility starts to move, it moves at a higher rate than S&P volatility, which is something that's really important for the call option buyers. I think it's also important to note that historically, VIX is around 16, right? And one month realized S&P vol is trading around 12. So even though VIX seems cheap right now, it's still at some sort of a premium in relation to what the broad market is doing. Chris, great to have you with us. Thank Chris you, guys. Cidiel. All right, for more Options Action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, we're keeping an eye on Tesla in the after-hours session. I'll bring you updates from the company's conference call next, plus insurance stocks showing some weakness today. Is this a sign of more pain to come, or can the group bounce back? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's check on shares of Tesla down by 3.7%. This after the company said margins were under pressure. Deepwater's Gene Munster has been listening to the conference call. Joins us with the latest. Some very interesting commentary on pricing for one, Gene. Yeah, exactly. Is that they say they review that on a weekly basis. I didn't realize it was that often globally. Uh, They would not comment, of course, where pricing was going. But given the macro, my sense is probably prices are going to be going down. And also uh, that view is aided by Elon's comment that they are really focusing on driving uh, delivery growth over uh, margins. And so this idea they want to really grab market share, land and expand, get those cars on the road, sell them high margin FSD one, two, three, five years down the road. And that's the basic model. Um, and, and right now, it seems that, Gene, that orders are in excess of production. So it's, it's sort of working, this, these price cuts. Exactly right. Is, uh, orders are, Elon just said that uh, orders are in excess of production. Uh, this is related to the price cuts. Now, that is going to be a surprise for some investors to hear that because inventories did build at the end of the quarter. But that inventory does not capture this surge in deliveries that they have in the first uh, week, two weeks of this new quarter. And so the bottom line is that the price cut is driving, is having its uh, effect, uh, which is driving uh, volumes. Uh, The CFO did get asked the question about what does this mean for the gross margin for automotive for the year? And he basically gave some puts and takes, but didn't give a definitive guidance on it. I suspect it's going to be kind of in this 19 to 21% range, uh, inching higher because they're getting the benefit of lower costs of materials. It's been pretty significant, especially around lithium. Yeah, lithium is how much do you think is the cost of the, of the vehicle, Gene? Well, the battery, uh, consider the battery a third of the cost of the vehicle. Mm. And uh, li- uh, I think lithium, if you think of the total cost of a vehicle, it's probably about 3%. And so, 
if you can see a, a kind of a meaningful uh, 30% drop in lithium, that can add a percent to overall automotive gross margin. So that's a significant lever. And so they're basically the big takeaway from the call so far. These are the questions that were submitted before they reported. They haven't got to the live Q&A yet, but the bottom line is that Tesla really wants to stick it to the competition. And uh, investors are gonna have to sweat out the margins for the next couple quarters, but who's really sweating, I think, is traditional auto because Tesla's not gonna be backing off on this uh, drive to get more cars on the road. All right, uh, Gene, thanks. Keep us posted. We're seeing the stock um, hit after our session lows right now down by 4.2%. Meantime, Elevance Health dragging down health insurers today. The stock dropping more than 5%. This is a stock formerly known as Anthem, by the way. Uh, despite reporting stronger than expected earnings before the bell, the company raising its 2023 adjusted EPS forecast but lowered its profit outlook on a net basis. Other health insurers, Molina, United Health, Humanis, and Teen, all dropping three plus percent today. We are commenting about this decline across the board in the insurance sector. Karen, what, what do you make of this? Well, we were talking about the medical loss ratio, which is basically their expenses that they pay out was actually better. But big discussion about Wagovi, Ozempic. Yep. How much are going to they how much are they going to have to pay for these drugs? And I don't think it's going to be the sticker price or whatever near that that's what it is now. I don't know, $1,200 a month or so. But um, I do wonder. So you can see it as a huge expense. But I wonder if over time, will it be beneficial if they could have a much less gigantic spend than they have in diabetes because of these drugs? Right. And there are studies underway right now to see if they can link that, you know, weight loss to reduce diabetes. And when that happens, if that pans out, then they might have to cover all of that. And maybe in the end, but maybe in the end, right. Obesity and diabetes for them is just an enormous strain. Enormous. Seems preventative. I'm taking Mm -hmm. Wagovi. I love it. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you this. Well, no, but but, when Dan turns sideways, you can't even see it. I know. You can hear him. But here's here's, here's what I would say about a lot of my other health conditions. They've all gotten a lot better in the last three months. And so there's actually, uh, there's also this catch-22 where you might see other drugs actually lose, you know what mm. I mean, scripts because of that. And so I'm seeing that in some of the things that I had, and I'm on it for pre-diabetes, but it's also helping a lot of other things too. So, yeah. All right. Up next, mm-hmm. final trade. Time for the final trade. Tim. Airline trade. I, I, again, the greatest trading sector, I think, of, of the groups. Anyway, Delta to 42, 43, Delta Airlines. Karen. Yes, another just sort of trading one. The KRE, I think, uh, actually bouncing along the bottom, but I think we can see a little spike up. Dan. Yeah, Tesla was a seller last night. Um, probably a seller in any rally tomorrow or in the near future. A new Papa Bono. Poppy. Good to have you back. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks Very so nice. much. Uh, so I'm a buyer of my son. Uh, <laughs> That's good. But, you have no idea. Actually. <laughs> very long. Uh, very. Yeah, but I'm having a hard time buying into IBM. I, I get the quarter and I get the div yield, but I'm, I'm not a buyer. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
stories warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.